bring God's word to you this morning and uh, thanks to our worship team for leading us into the presence of God. For those who are with us for the first time, maybe you haven't been back to the room, um, it really is just special to be able to worship together. I don't know about you, but I just, you know, we've had to bear with the online and obviously for those who are with us online again um, it's the best that we can do in the situation but there's just something about being in the house of God about worshiping God about lifting your voice about um, I don't know just turning to those who are around you on the left and right and seeing them worshiping God it is incredible to worship together so um, amazing I was up at 3 a.m. it had nothing to do with me praying or uh, preparing a message for you guys I don't love you that much I I do love you that much but the truth is I got three kids and so we've been up all night but I really am excited about the word that I believe God wants to deposit into your hearts this morning can we just pray for a moment father thank you thank you for a distraction-free environment father thank you for your word that goes out and pierces hearts that sets us up for a better future father can you this morning do what only you can do Holy Spirit and that is to work individually through a corporate message. And so we thank you, God, for a refreshing, reviving word today. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen, amen. amen. Who of you would call yourself a planner, like you love a good plan? Any hands up? Uh, My wife and I are fairly good planners. Um, I I like planning. My wife loves planning. Like, Like we'll go out on a date, and she'll pull out her diary and we start making a plan for the week, the month, the year ahead. Like she loves to plan holidays. She loves to plan, uh, she loves to plan our meals. She loves to plan the week. She loves to plan what the kids are doing. Uh, she just loves planning. Like come December time, like I, I just know she's going to buy at least three different diaries to do the same thing, to write a plan. But she, she, she's... She'll go out and get those. Anybody buy those like planners where you can like draw in in the kind of cokey and then smudge it out when the plans change? Like my wife's got like three of those. Like there's one hanging up next to my bed just in case like I'll see her buy them in July at like half price. I'm like, they better be half price. Like half the year's already gone. But she just loves planning. And look, I like planning as well. And I know that there's some of you in the room that are kind of much more I don't know, happy-go-lucky, like, I don't know, we'll just see what tomorrow brings, you know, a little casual, loose, and some of you are like, you've got spreadsheets, you've got diagrams, you've got graphs, you know exactly how tomorrow, next week, next year, and 10 years down the line should go. Some of us are planners and some of us are not, and I'm actually not hating on you planners today, I'm a bit of a planner myself, and I got some good news for the planners in the house today and for those online. God is a planner. God loves a good plan. I'll prove it to you. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says this. For I know the plans that I have for you. Somebody just shout out loud for a moment, say plans. All right. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. God loves a good plan. And listen to his particular plan. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. So when it comes to God's plan for you, it looks like a great future, a lot of hope and prosperity. That's God's plan. When he sits down and thinks about your life 
and my life, when he buys the three diaries or puts up the kind of calendar, he's thinking, my plans for you are to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. He has a plan for you and it's a good one. Now, I want to talk to you for a moment about your future, about tomorrow, because tomorrow is an interesting discussion or topic or thought. It, it holds a whole bunch of uncertainty. None of us know what tomorrow looks like. I don't know how many of you grew up in the 90s watching the sitcom. I don't think we even use the word sitcom anymore, but the sitcom called Early Edition. Anybody remember Early Edition? Thank you. A couple of you are a bit embarrassed. Put up your hand. Some of you were never born um, or weren't yet born in the 90s. Early edition was this. Basically, you would, this guy would receive tomorrow's newspaper today. It's a very clever concept. Anybody remember now that I tell you what happened? So you'd receive tomorrow's newspaper today, and then he would go out and try and solve all the things that might just happen tomorrow, today. And I think many of us go, God, I just wish I could have the early edition on my plan, on the plan, on my future. Um, and, and unfortunately, God doesn't give us that luxury. But I do believe there's something important to way, uh, around the way that we position ourselves today for tomorrow. Tomorrow holds so much hope, dreams, plans, possibilities, passions, but it also holds a whole bunch of anxiety, uncertainty, fears, worries, concerns. And tomorrow is full of these like ifs and whens. Like if this happens, or when I get that promotion, or when I get this thing, or when I get that wife or husband, but with all these hopes and dreams of what ifs and whens also come the kind of negative partner to that question. And that is like, what, if, what happens if it doesn't happen? What happens if I don't get the husband? What happens if I don't get the wife? What happens if we can't conceive and have a child? What happens if we're never going to get out of debt? What happens if I'll never, ever be happy again? What happens if I'm not going to be able to break the cycle of addiction? What happens if this area of sickness in my body can't go? What happens if this depression that I'm struggling with won't ever leave? And so when we look to tomorrow, I believe the devil has a real strategy in keeping us bound and trapped because of yesterday's wounds or yesterday's struggles that we begin to project forward to tomorrow and go, it might just be like this forever. He gets us in the state of disillusionment and depression or anxiety where we go, I, I don't know if it's ever going to change. I don't know if tomorrow's ever going to look better. I'm not even sure that it's going to stay like this. It may get worse. And so tomorrow has this crazy kind of roller coaster of emotions where you're like, it could be a whole lot better. It could be a whole lot worse. So what does God say about tomorrow? Will tomorrow be better or will tomorrow be more of the same or will it be worse? And I've got to be honest with you, just a moment of vulnerability and honesty. Sometimes I get a little trapped in today. I'm like, I'm not sure. The future looks a little hazy. It looks quite uncertain. And I'm like, 
the things I'm struggling with, the things I'm hoping for, the things I'm, the circumstances I'm hoping are going to change, the whatever, the bank account, the relationships, the 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 struggles. I'm, a, I don't know. I don't know if you're like me, but I can find myself getting in a space where I know God's good, and I know the plans that He has for me, but I find myself being caught in this trap of believing that yesterday and today will dictate what tomorrow look like. And I'm hoping today, in the midst of this hazy, uncertain, overwhelming sense of what tomorrow holds, I'm hoping today to put some confidence, and I I use that word specifically because I believe that the devil wants to rip out your confidence about tomorrow, rip out your confidence about what, uh, what God wants to do in your life and get you living from one day to the next in the mundane, in the monotony of just like, ah, I don't know. I guess it will be what it will be. But I believe that God wants to put some confidence in our hearts about tomorrow. Because God certainly seems confident about His plan for our future. I'll read it to you again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. He's pretty confident. It's like, I know, when I sit down with my diaries and my plans and my schedules, I'm confident about your future. I'm confident about my plans. And so the question has to be asked, why is God so confident? Why is He so confident in what we, in our future? I really want to pose a statement and then I'm hoping to back it up through the Word today. Well, I will back it up through the Word. And here's the reason that I believe God is so confident about His plans for your future. And that is this. I believe God is so confident about your future because He's standing in your tomorrow. God is in your tomorrow. He's he's not just in your today. He's actually in your tomorrow. God is in your future. I'm going to show you in Psalm 139 verse 16. And when I say God is in your tomorrow, I literally mean He's been there. He's seen it. Listen to what Psalm 139 verse 16 says. It says, you saw me before I was born. Before you were born, God saw you. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every day, church. Every single day was recorded in God's book. The scripture goes on to say this. It says that every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So before one day happened, before your future happened, before you were born, God's like, I've seen it. I've been there. I know it. And you know, when somebody's been somewhere before you, they bring a certain confidence So my wife is Italian, and so we've gone over to Italy a couple of times, and every time we go over, we happen to have family or friends that come with us, and everybody wants to go to Venice. And Venice is one of our favorite cities, and so we love taking them as like tour guides. And the questions, the questions will always be the same. Like guys will say to us, what what, what do I have to do? Where am I going to change money? And do I have to catch a boat? And where are we going to have lunch? And I'm not sure. Do I need to get a map? Where do we get a map from? And every time we'll look at them and go, don't worry, we've been there. We got you. We've been there. We see, we know how everything works. We'll just leave it to us. We'll be your tour guides. We've seen it. 
We've been there before, and so we'll walk you through it. There's not, all your questions are legitimate fears or worries, or, but don't worry. We've been there. And I'm telling you that God is standing in your tomorrow and saying to you, I've seen it. I've been there. And so he can confidently look at you and say, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. God is in your tomorrow. And it's one thing that he stands with me in today. But to think that he is waiting for me in my tomorrow gives me confidence. I don't know if it gives you confidence, but it gives me confidence. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who stands in my tomorrow. His perspective is very different to our perspective. We stand in today looking back on yesterday's struggles, wondering what tomorrow will look like. He stands in tomorrow and says, for I know the plans that I have for you. He's in your tomorrow. Now church, if we don't get that, tomorrow can become daunting, overwhelming, and two things will happen. You'll get the person who goes, well, I'm just gonna make a plan. I'm gonna figure it out myself. I'm gonna hustle, I'm gonna work, I'm gonna operate, I'm gonna find a way, I'm gonna find a way to fill that bank account, I'm gonna find a way to get that relationship, I'm gonna find a way to make myself feel happy or feel pleased, I'm gonna find, I'm gonna make a plan. And friend, you may make a plan, but it may not be his plan. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And the other group of people sit in today and look at tomorrow and feel like the confidence for anything good to happen, anything of God to turn anything around has gone, all hope is lost. And so you sit in today and you go, it's just going to be more of the same tomorrow. And you get disillusioned. And I want to tell you and remind you again today that God stands in tomorrow and he says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And so I'm going to read you a passage from the Bible. It's quite a long passage of scripture that I'm going to read. I'll stop every now and then, but it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. And a little bit of context Abraham has been asking and standing on God's promise that he will receive a son. Isaac is his name. He receives Isaac, this promise. It's a miracle child. Sarah's too old, Abraham's too old. Everybody's laughed it off and God does this incredible miracle and gives them Isaac. And we pick up this account in Genesis 22 where his son, this miracle promise, this miracle child of God is now born and is now a little boy or a young boy, I don't know, 10, 12, 14, but he's a young boy. And we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 2, 22, verse 2. It says, Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on, the mount, uh, on a mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, and he took with him two, uh, his two servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to the place God had told him about. Now, quick pause. This is not the message today, but some radical obedience here from Abraham. God, God if you said it, I'll do it. So he sets out with his son, who is the promise who is the one in whom he loves. And he sets out 
to do what God has asked him to do. In fact, just so you know, this particular text in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, they reckon is the hardest to stomach as the Jewish rabbis or Jewish teachers would have to teach this particular passage. It's like, it almost feels like at kind of surface level, feels a little too intense. Feels like, God, what are you doing? Why would you, why would you ask this dad to sacrifice his son after he's waited for this very son that you promised? What's going on here, God? And it goes on to say this, and I tell you the story because Abraham would be looking to tomorrow, would be looking to the future in this moment after hearing God. I don't know how he slept that night. I don't know what conversation he had with Sarah the next morning. But he packs everything up and he sets out in obedience to say, God, I'm not in tomorrow, but you are. I don't know what the future holds right now, to be honest. I'm probably filled with a bit of fear around what the future looks like. I don't understand. I feel overwhelmed. It feels complicated. It feels like, God, the very thing that I asked you to do, now you're doing the opposite. But God, you're in tomorrow. And so they set out on this journey. We pick up the account in verse four. It says, on the third day, Abraham looked up. Now there's nothing by mistake in the scriptures. But on the third day, I think is a little detail just to tell us that for three days, Abraham walked wondering, going, God, what you, what's your plan? What, what you gonna do? For three days, he must have been wondering and pondering and praying and wrestling and asking God, God, what are you, what are you gonna do here? How are you gonna come through for me? And it goes on to say, and Abraham looked up and saw the place in this distance. It's the idea of a picture of a future of where he needs to go. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I go, uh, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Interesting observation. He's going out to do what God's asked him to do and that is to sacrifice Isaac. But he makes a declaration. He makes a statement he makes a prophetic declaration that says, we're going up and we're coming back down. I'm going to sacrifice Isaac. We're going up and we're going down. I don't know how yet. The how's not my problem. The how's is his problem. I walk in obedience. He stands in my tomorrow. We're going up and we're coming back down. All right. It goes on to say this. It says, Abraham took the word and the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went up together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Do you know how many of us ask that question? God, uh, I mean, uh, I've got this. I've seen you there, but, but where's the lamb? I don't know what your lamb is today, friend. I don't know what, what you need in the future, what provision you need from God. But all of us have got a lamb. God, I, I need you to provide that relationship. I need you to restore that relationship. I need you to save my child. God, I need you to intervene in that situation. God, my bank account, look, where's the lamb? And Abraham responds with this faith 
prophetic statement and says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went up together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged uh, the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. This must have been a moment that he had all the way up until this point going, God, where are you? Now, I don't know why, and we're not going to dive too deeply into this. I don't know why God always likes to do things in the last hour. Perhaps it's that He wants to test our faith. Perhaps He wants to see that we get to the end of ourselves and all of our own plans and all of our own ideas and go, okay, God, it's only you. But He gets right to the end of Himself here. And it says this, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay your hand on that boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your one and only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. If you look at the Hebrew, it'll call this place the God who is known as Jehovah Jireh. We've been singing that song the last couple of weeks, that his name is Jireh. Now at a plain, quick look, that word may mean in the English to us as provider, but it means far more and has a far weightier significance than just provision. The word actually means that he is the God who sees beforehand and then provides. It gives this idea that he's standing in your tomorrow, knowing what you need already, and then provides. In fact, the word when studied, this idea of Jehovah Jireh, when you study it, goes one further to say that it's not just that he sees and provides, but it actually speaks about these two particular words. It says that he provides perceives and experiences. He perceives and experiences. So this is what happened. Jehovah Jireh, the God who stands in tomorrow, stood in the pain and the personal anguish of Abraham, in the confusion, in the frustration, in the misunderstanding, in the hurt, in the doubts, in the where are you God? And in that moment, didn't just provide a ram, but provided everything that Abraham was looking for. Peace, comfort, joy. See, when it says that God is Jehovah Jireh, it's not just saying he's providing some goods like we get at a supermarket. He's saying I'm the one who provides and sustains and gives you everything you need. And don't worry about tomorrow. I'm already standing in it. I see everything you need. I am Jehovah Jireh. And so I want to give you three points Three P's to keep the plan on point. Three P's to keep the plan on point. God says, I know the plans I have for you. How do we make sure that we keep the plan on point? The first P is that we need to picture it. We need to picture the future. We need to imagine it. We need to dream it. We need to create it. Kids are amazing when it comes to imagination. Like I have to be 
Like I legitimately have to be careful where I stand and where I sit in my house because my five-year-old and my three-year-old, if I sit on Sky, who's one of the poor patrols, who's obviously got a seat that I have missed altogether. <laughs> oh, Dad, you stepped on the ice cream. I didn't even know there was an ice cream there. Dad, there's a whole ice cream store. Have you missed it? But we've written off imagination as child's play. But imagination is something that is deeply spiritual. It's something that God has placed in the heart of every person. And we have turned off imagination. We have turned off dream because perhaps we've been hurt by our own dreams. Perhaps we've been scarred because it hasn't happened the way we thought it should or when we thought it should. But Ephesians 3.20 says it like this. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. See, God wants to do immeasurably more than you and I could ask or imagine. But if we're not imagining, his arms are tied. We need to imagine our future. We need to dream about what God can do in our families and in our business and in our ministries and in our churches. We need to dream. Imagination is free. A lot of other things are costly. I, I think some of you are sitting in the room and maybe because of COVID or maybe just because of life, you've just stopped dreaming about your future. You've turned off you're just living from day to day because maybe it's too hurtful or too painful. And I'm telling you that God is giving you a mandate today to sit down today or tomorrow morning with a white piece of paper and go, God, I'm dreaming again. God, I'm going to imagine my future. I'm going to believe not only that I have a good future because you have a plan, but that you stand in my tomorrow and you beckon me. We need a dream. We need to imagine. Listen how it says it in the message version. It says it like this. God can do anything far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. Wildest dreams. I sure don't want to get to heaven. And God goes, well done, Cole. You played it safe and sanitized. Every step was so well calculated. Everything was safe. Everything required just a little drop of Jesus. I want to get to heaven one day and God goes, you played it so well, son. You dream big. Your imagination went wild. I was able to move on your behalf. I did immeasurably more than you could ask, think, or imagine. Church, the life that God is inviting us into is a wide open, huge, God-given, God-dreaming, unimaginable space. And we've settled for okay, for mundane. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, one of my favorite verses says this. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. No mind has even imagined what God has prepared for you. He has a great 
great plan. The first is that we've got to picture it. The second is that we've got to pray. We've got to pray. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. Now, here's what's interesting. The accounts in Genesis chapter 22, it's such a powerful account that it gets repeated in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the hall of faith. And here's what it says about the life of Abraham. It says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, who had received the picture, who had had received the, the, the dream, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is a son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life. Do you know, when I say pray, when we say pray, we have this very kind of traditional, sanctified, on our knees next to our bed, not, not next to your beer. I mean, you, can't, you can do it next to your beer. You can do it wherever. It's just not very sanctified, perhaps, next to your beer. I don't know. Anyways. But we got this idea of like, dear God. I don't think this was a dear God prayer. I think this was what the scripture speaks about as reasoned. Or if you look at other versions, it says that it was calculated or accounted it it was this wrestle on the inside it was this God you're good your plans are good but it looks like we're going south God you promised me this you gave me that and now we're going here it was a deep wrestle on the inside that I believe looks more like prayer than perhaps our traditional sanctified Dear God, pray. God is asking us to wrestle, to pray, to come to Him. And He goes, even if it goes bad, even if Isaac dies, God, you said, it's on you. Listen to what Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says. It says, Do not be anxious about anything. Most of us are anxious about the future, most of us are anxious about what is to come. But it says, But in every situation, in all things, There's nothing too small and there's nothing too large. But in every situation by prayer and petition, that word petition just means over and over. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Some of us are good at praying one prayer. We may need to pray 10 prayers or 100 prayers. But the scriptures say, if you want to not be anxious about your future, you need to get praying. And it says this, with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is basically just gratitude. It's looking back on everything that God has done. Devil's so good at getting our eyes off of everything that he's done. But it's so important for our future that we're not anxious, that we look and we count everything that God has done. It's yesterday's memorials that set up tomorrow's miracles. It's yesterday's memorials that set up tomorrow's miracles. God, you did it there. God, you did it there. God, you did it there. God, you did it for me there. God, you did it for them there, so you'll do it for me here. Yesterday's memorials set up tomorrow's miracles. God, I'm gonna give you thanksgiving. Do you know, I think there was some confidence in Abraham when he walked with his 12-year-old, I assume, boy, Isaac, as he walked. He's like, I don't know how you're gonna do it, but I was too old to have this guy, Isaac, and you did it there. So you're gonna do it here. 
And you're going to do it there. And you're going to do it in the future. Why? Because you stand in my tomorrow. It goes on to say this, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This peace, it, it means that God gives you something that actually translates into a confidence that people look and go, how, how are you standing when this is happening? How do you have such boldness and confidence and courage? And it's the peace of God. Notice this, the whole prayer is bring everything, don't be anxious, bring all your requests to God. And God's response to all of your requests is by giving you peace. I once heard Judah Smith preach a message and he said, all of your requests, everything you're asking for, ultimately is a prayer for peace. God, give me the husband. God, give me the bank account. God, give me the job. God, give me the breakthrough. It's all because on the other end of that thing, you're hoping for peace. So God's like, I'll just shortcut that. I'll give you peace and your request. But while you wait for your request, I'll give you a peace that gives you confidence that I'm in your tomorrow. God gives us this peace that transcends all human understanding. And I'm praying today, that even today, even right now, that some of you are gonna receive the peace of God that just transcends all human understanding, that it will flood your heart and go, you know what, I can wait because if I have the peace of God today and I know Jehovah Jireh waits for me tomorrow, that's enough. And the last P and the band can make their way up. The last P is that you need to prophesy. The first is that you need to have a picture. The second is that you need to pray. And the third is that you need to prophesy. Once you got the picture and once you prayed and you received the peace of God, then you need to prophesy. Notice what Abraham does. Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verse five, the account that we read from, he says, we will worship and then we will come back down to you. You know what he's saying? It's like, I don't know how. I don't know how God's gonna do it, but I wanna prophesy. We will go up and worship and we will come back down to you. Listen to what he says a little later. He says this in Genesis chapter 2, 22, verse 7. It says, The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I don't know how. I prayed, I've wrestled, I've reasoned, I've accounted, and I've come to the point that I've got a peace from God. I'm waiting for the request. I don't know how it's gonna happen, but while I'm waiting, I'm gonna prophesy. I'm gonna declare the things of God. I'm gonna say the things of God. I'm gonna speak the Word of God. That's the prophecy that God is wanting for all of us, this declaration that comes out. The devil is so good at making us despondent about tomorrow. Like, oh, whatever happens, happens. But God says that we can call for things that aren't as if they were. God says we can speak to the mountain, tell it to get into the ocean. God says that He's given us the keys of the kingdom of heaven, that we can bind things and loose things on heaven and on earth. God says we need to speak. And I really believe that there's an onus on us to prophesy while we wait to say, we will worship and then we will come down. God will provide. God's gonna do that thing. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Basically saying this, 
If you speak negatively, it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy of your future. Some of us are speaking like this. I don't know why this always happens to me. I never get a lucky break. How come everybody else is successful? It just feels like more of the same. Church, we need to prophesy the Word of God. He is my provider. He is my healer. He is good to me. He is the restorer of relationships. He is the one who's gonna save my children. He is the one who breaks every chain of addiction. He is the one who sets me free. He is the one who who has planned every single one of my days. He is the one who knows me. He is the comforter. He is the one who is close. I am declaring while I'm waiting. We get a picture that is beyond our wildest imaginations. And we pray and we receive the peace of God. And while we wait, we prophesy. We declare the Word of God and the will of God, the hand of God, the heart of God over our situation. I'm gonna get a picture and then pray and then prophesy. And I'm I'm gonna do that with a confidence knowing that Jehovah Jireh, The one who stands in my future sees, perceives, experiences, and then provides. That's the confidence I have. God stands in your tomorrow declaring, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Church, we're gonna stand right now. We're gonna sing a declaration song. And I know that for some of you, there's gonna be a wrestle right now. Say, okay, God, you can stand right now to your feet. You go, okay, God, I'm bringing this thing to you. Bringing my child, bringing my finances, bringing my depression, bringing my area of sickness, bringing my whatever it is, God, and I'm gonna prophesy. I'm gonna wrestle. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna get a picture. Even for some of you right now, I believe that hope's gonna stir in your heart. Maybe for the first time in years, where you begin to dream again, where you begin to imagine again, where you see a future that God is in it and intertwining and doing stuff far greater than your wildest imaginations. Come on, let's sing together.